Welcome to episode 10 of Pub Crawl, a publishing podcast about reading, writing, books, and occasionally booze. I'm your host, JJ. I am an author and erstwhile editor. And I'm your co-host, Kelly. I am a contracts manager and a freelance editor. We are both contributors with the Publishing Crawl blog, and together we have over 15 years of industry experience. And today's topic is our last NaNoWriMo episode. The final one. Final one. The end is in sight. Um, sort of. (laughs) Hopefully it's in sight for you guys a little bit more than it is for us at this point in time. Yes. I think we've mentioned before that we do, uh record ahead of time. Mm-hmm. It's about a week ahead of time. And uh, so Kelly and I are still within week two mm-hmm. or week three, I guess. So, and uh, it's rough going. It is rough going. I still have not hit um, the halfway point in my word count. I should have been there a couple of days ago. Um, and I'm not there yet, but uh, still not giving up. Actually, I'm going on um, the week of Thanksgiving, the week that this podcast airs, I'm actually taking a vacation, and so we're all flying out to Boston to stay with my family. Uh, And so I'm hoping that with grandparents around who are going to want to take my kid uh, (laughs) and spend all kinds of quality time with her, she'll be out of my my hair. So I'm hoping to be able to write for a couple hours a day and really um, do some serious catch-up as we approach the finish line. Yes. Uh, next week for, is Thanksgiving here in the United States for us. Um, so we will be taking a break. We will not be recording a podcast for the first week of December. Mm-hmm. Um, so happy Thanksgiving, all of y'all who celebrate that. Um, my plans are, um, my partner is a doctor, so he's working through Thanksgiving. And so we are both here, but I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> this, this this notion of being home alone it sounds so great. Mm-hmm. I just I'm gonna be home alone. I know I should be count, catching up on word count, but I really just intend to like turn on Netflix and <laughs> marathon just stuff. I don't even care what it is, anything. I'm just gonna marathon something. <laughs> well, we can all give you recommendations if you need any. Just ask. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, I haven't I haven't watched TV in forever. I mean, I do have standing uh, invitations to Thanksgiving at a couple of different places. Um, you know, my best friend Sophia, he lives in North Carolina now, and she lives in Chapel Hill. And she's like, oh, you can always come and have Thanksgiving with us. And you know, I did consider that, but then I'm kind of like, but I can be home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I could be home. Mm-hmm. I, that, to me, that just sounds so great. Yep. I don't, I don't have to do anything. I can go to sleep at 5 p.m. and nobody will care, mm-hmm. which is what I have been doing, y'all. Um, it's it's awful. This this whole seasonal affective disorder is rough. It's really brutal. I know we've talked about it a couple times in a row now, but um, it, it's not improving any. <laughs> no. I mean, part of it, too, is... Um, so I think I mentioned in last week's podcast that I was going to Yale Fest, which I did. Um, it's a, a, it's a YA book festival in Charleston, South Carolina. They hold it every year. Um, this would be the fifth year that they, they've hosted it. And it's always a great time, you know, lots of really wonderful panels and Tiger Beat, uh, which is Libba Bray's band. Um, they perform, they um, you know, so it, it's always fun. I've, I've been the past three years, so it, it's great. And I really, really love it, but it, it's, I'm, I'm peopled out. <laughs> I'm an introvert. So, you know, and I went down on Thursday night to, uh, to Charlotte, um, to see some author friends that we were all going to Charleston together and staying in a hotel together. So like Thursday, Thursday, all the way through Sunday was just people, 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 people. And, uh, I'm, I'm tired. (laughs) And, uh, the older I get, the longer it takes for me to recover from being on. Yes. So, uh, I, I knew that, like, I knew I wasn't going to write while I was in Charleston, but I basically needed all of Monday and Tuesday to recover from people. And I, I think I still need another day to recover, but I really need to get back to writing. <laughs> oh, 
um, I'm just under halfway, so I'm just under 25,000 words. So it, uh, and now I'm actually entering the hard part of writing for me. Um, I've finished the beginning, and once I'm done with the beginning, it all gets hard. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I don't, usually when I write my long shitty synopses, I usually know kind of all the way up to the end of the first act mm-hmm. what happens, and I, I usually have a pretty good idea. I'm really good at setup, you guys, but what I'm really bad at is resolution, so I can like write the beginning for a very long time and then when it comes to like you know ending things then they just sort of peter out because I don't know how to resolve anything so I I'm I'm kind of now I've 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 finished the first act and now I'm in the I don't know what happens part yeah (laughs) yeah that's the that's the fun part you're lucky that at least you get the beginning out before you hit that stage (laughs) Uh, I I, kind of started that way (laughs) (laughs) this is where i start to envy my friends who are who are plotters Mm. because i'm like look they look they have an outline they have a blueprint they'll have something to guide them through the weeds but i don't have anything and every time i try i just wander straight off into another path so uh, i just this is just the ah and you know since this is supposed to go up in the last week of nanowrimo by my calculation by about how long I think the story is going to turn out. 50,000 words is really only about two thirds of the way through the story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because I don't, I, 50,000 words for me is like 45% of a book. <laughs> um, but like, this is a middle grade novel. So things are moving at a much faster clip than I typically write them at, which is, I'm happy about, I'm happy I'm able to adhere to that. But you know, even then, I was kind of thinking I'd come in around 75,000 words mm-hmm. for the length of this book. So, you know, 50,000 words is not quite an entire book. Um, but I'm also in the, like, the middle part where everything starts to be like, I don't know. How do I escalate tension? How do I make sure things don't get boring? You know, it's, it's all that sort of weeds. It yeah. just feels like weeds in a marsh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my story still doesn't have an antagonist. <laughs> you don't need one. You don't always need an antagonist. Well, you need... If it, the antagonist isn't a character, you need something. You need some kind of conflict in your novel. I don't have that yet. I I, I know what I don't want the conflicts to be. You know, I... I um, in, in coming up with this idea for NaNoWriMo, I basically sat down and said, well, I don't want to have a love triangle, and I don't want this to happen, and I don't want that to happen, and I just took all the things that I knew that I didn't want, which was <laughs> great, and I don't have any of those things, so in that regard, I'm very successful so far, but I didn't necessarily replace that with a list of things that I did want to happen, um, <laughs> And so, yeah, right now I just don't know what the conflict in my novel is, which is a little bit frightening at this point <laughs> in NaNoWriMo. Um, so again, you know, for us it's only the third week, but by the time this airs it will be the final week, and I, I'm still determined. I am behind. I'm significantly behind in my word count, but I have not given up hope yet. And so I need to figure out a conflict pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, you don't, I mean, of course, every every book needs a conflict, otherwise there's no story, but I think, have, you know, saying that you need an antagonist or a villain, I don't think is necessarily true. I think you can have stories with conflict that doesn't necessarily have a bad guy in them. Um, I'm trying to my... think of, I'm trying to think of, I mean, I can think of a couple that, where the conflict is just kind of all internal, you know, like in, in Catcher in the Rye by Salinger, there's no villain. There's no bad guy. That's just a purely internal story. And Holden's conflict is his own, you know, grappling with his own failures and whatever else. So I can think of a few stories like that. Are there, can you think of other 
types of things that don't have a villain? Well, my debut. <laughs> well, doesn't okay. Have a, <laughs> doesn't have a villain. Um, the, I mean, the Goblin King is sort of an antagonistic figure in the beginning, but he's actually not a villain. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the conflict in the second half of the novel is, um, you can say that the villain is time. Um, it's sort of a, either like a race against time. Right. So something's going to happen at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can definitely... And so I don't know if you guys are know of or are familiar with Korean dramas. I have watched a couple because we used to be roommates. <laughs> yes. I, I made Kelly watch a, cup, a couple. Which they ones did you watch? They were really great. We watched Full House. Okay, um, which okay. is not, by the way, Full House, you know, with um, with the Olsen twins and, and the American <laughs> sitcom. It's not that Full House. It's a Korean. Was that a drama or a comedy? Or it's a drama. A, a drama. They're all called dramas. Okay. They're all called dramas, regardless, regardless of whether or not they're comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, we watched that one. Absolutely. Um, I know we watched several others, and I I can't recall what their names were. Full House is the one that sticks out in my mind. Because um, it's the most enjoyable. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's, it's pure romantic comedy. It was really great. Um, I loved it. Uh, yeah. And it has this sort of relationship that I find difficult to do well, but it worked for me as the sort of bigger, bigger kiss kiss. Oh, I love those. <laughs> um, and they did it, they did it very well um, in Full House. Mm-hmm. But so... There's a couple of different drama types. My mother and I like to sort of categorize them. Um, I've, I've definitely fallen off the, the Korean drama watching bandwagon. I used to watch a lot more in high school. But, um, so, but there were all these sort of what my mother calls Kongji Pachi stories. Uh, Kongji Pachi is, um, a Korean, is actually a Korean Cinderella story. Korean Cinderella folktale, Kongji is the good girl, Pachi is the bad girl. Um, and there are a lot of these Korean dramas that fall into the Kongji Pachi story. There's clearly the like the virtuous heroine, and then the antagonist is the, the evil girl. Um, and a lot of Korean dramas fall into that. But the ones that my mother and I like are the ones that don't fall into that dynamic. The ones where the conflict does not is not a single person. The conflict is family, you know clashes. Um, there was one when I was younger that we used to watch called, it's called Propose. And, um, one of the big conflicts of that one was that the main girl is illegitimate and this is nineties Korea. And that's still kind of a stigma there to be an illegitimate child. Um, and so the sort of tension that she faced not only like romantically, but sort of the society that she lived in was because she was illegitimate and it didn't have a single antagonist. It didn't have mm-hmm. that sort of thing, but it was just her in conflict with the society. Um, and that, that one is a, a friends to lovers story. So I really enjoyed that one too. Um, I have a whole list of Korean dramas, by the way, if you guys want to watch any, we do, um, especially if they're <laughs> available on Netflix, I want to watch them. I think there must be a couple available on Netflix. I can definitely look them up. I know also... they have a pretty robust foreign film section. Um, I've seen some Korean dramas on, uh, Netflix, at least last year or a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. there was one called Secret Garden, I think that was mm-hmm. on there. I know um, David watched one a few years ago about a man, and I didn't watch it with him, so he was just describing it to me, but it sounded really great. I can't remember it now. It was like there was a man, and he he thought he was the only man left, but it turns out he was just stranded on some island, and I don't know. It was it sounded really great, but he watched it. My, my husband lived in Korea um, for a while in his early 20s, um, and so when he and I were dating and I was roommates with JJ, we would all sit down and watch Korean dramas together. And it was really, <laughs> it was really great. And they could kind of under, they, I think your grasp of Korean was better than David's, but he did understand the language to some extent. Whereas I was just like, can we have the subtitles please? Because I mean, foreign I still languages are not my strong suit. Um, I mean, I still watch with the subtitles you know. too. Um, even though I do speak Korean, I, I still watch with the subtitles. And also because I find it kind of interesting because there's a lot of nuance that gets that you can't translate if you're not familiar with the culture. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, like the whole illegitimate thing, um, you know, in Korea is, is a bigger deal. Not like it's a, 
it's a stigma, yes, but it's not like a, <gasps> she's illegitimate. It's just this weird kind of like sort of subtle thing that it's it's a little bit hard to translate on screen. So a mm-hmm. lot of what people say, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, the <laughs> it's like the, the talking equivalent of the subtweet where they're not saying it directly, but it's it's there. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of Korean dramas where, or the ones that my my mother and I like that don't have the Kungji Pachi storyline. That the conflict is circumstantial. So one that was really popular a couple of years ago, it, it was called Sungyungwan Scandal, and it's um, set in 18th century Korea during the Joseon Dynasty. Um, and at the time, Sungyungwan is a university there. And uh, at the time, only men were allowed to attend. So the girl cross-dresses as a boy to attend the university. Yeah. And then I loved it. It was great. And there's a lot of tension that comes up with that, obviously. Like, she's trying to hide her her, her gender. But she's also, you know, falling for mm-hmm. one of her classmates. and But he doesn't know that she's a girl. I think we though... might have watched this one. Did you? It's fairly recent. It was a couple of years ago. Maybe not. Um, Maybe you just told me about it. Because now this is sounding really familiar. <laughs> uh, well, I I always love a cross-dressing heroine mm-hmm. story, so um, that that was totally up my alley. Plus, the the main lead is a singer in a Korean boy band that my mother loves. <laughs> yeah, my mother's a teenage girl, y'all. Like she she really is. My mother loves all the boy bands and this and, um, but his name. I don't actually know what his Korean name is, but he goes by Mickey Park, I think. Oh, I have to look him up. But my mom really likes him, so she watched him. And he was in another vaguely historical drama, um, one that involved um, time travel. Mm-hmm. So there's, and that was kind of fun. It's like the fish out of water story. He's this um, prince from like 200 years ago, and then for some reason finds himself. In modern day Korea, um, and you know, I like him trying to adjust why he's there, and it's 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 really really convoluted because it also had things like reincarnated lovers and and stuff. But it's also very funny. Like when it when it was like the fish out of water storyline, when it's him and he's this like stuffy old prince in modern day Seoul, and he's like, I don't know what's going on. It's it was it's very funny and charming. So any I could I could list all of these in the show notes, <laughs> by the way, if you guys are are at all curious and, and want to see these. Um, they are a lot of fun, especially if you like romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, good romantic comedies, not the bad ones that America seems to be putting out lately. Oh, that's really unfortunate because a good romantic comedy is so good. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. are ones that I just absolutely love and will watch over and over and over again. And then there's ones that are just terrible. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I don't know what happened because the last time I remember a romantic comedy being good was like early 2000s mm-hmm. so like almost 15 years ago I think I can't remember one in the last 15 years that I remember being good I really liked Stranger Than Fiction which I think might fall in that I think I think that's actually like 15 years ago now Kelly really it's per- it's it's older than I remember. I know it was in. I know I lived in New York when it came out, and I guess I did move to New York in two thousand five. So it could have been ten years ago. Um, but it certainly was a lo- quite a long time ago. And I'm trying to think if I have seen one since then. That the other thing too is that I just don't go to the movies anymore. So if it's not on Netflix, then I just haven't seen it. And I'm also not, by any means, an expert on the romantic comedy genre. Um, so I don't know that I can speak intelligently about like what makes a good one and what makes a poor one, other than my own personal taste. But I do tend to like the older ones. I mean, I think for me, the perfect romantic comedy is When Harry Met Sally. Oh, I love that. I think that movie's perfect. Uh, I love it. Uh, it's just... It's just wonderful. I need to watch it again soon. I usually watch it around this time every year. I do too, because anyway. it's kind of a holiday movie. Yeah, you know, it's got you know Christmas anyway, Christmas and New Year mm-hmm. stuff in it. 
I think it has a lot to do with characterization, what makes a good romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the, sort of the slapsticky kind, which I feel like a lot of romantic comedies fall into these days. Yeah, I think romantic comedies have to be intelligent at their base. There has to mm-hmm. be something smart about it. I think something smart, the dialogue, of course, needs to be snappy. But I also just think characterization really needs to be spot on. Otherwise, you don't care, or at least I don't care, whether or not these characters end up together. Yeah. That's really the point of romantic comedy, isn't it? You're watching a movie to see a couple end up together. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's already a foregone conclusion. It's not like you're going into that movie being like, I don't know what happens. You know what happens. They're going to end up together. It's the how and how it falls apart and, and how you end up rooting for this couple. Yes. And I think sometimes, too, something that irritates me about more recent romantic comedies is that the conflicts seem really false. Like the reasons why they're not together Mm -hmm. seem really contrived and, you know, and not like a legitimate barrier to their relationship. And so that really irritates me too. If it, if it, if it's like the kind of thing where it's like, if you would just have a conversation, you could resolve all of this and you would be together, but you're not having a conversation because the plot requires that you not have a conversation. Yes. <laughs> then in At that least case, not until the third act. Right, you can't yeah. have a conversation until the third act. So I like there to be, um, uh, you know, a true, true obstacles between the reasons why the, the couple is not, uh, together at any point in time. So, well, I heard good things about train wreck. The I think Amy that Schumer looks movie. great. I haven't seen it. Um, I haven't seen it either. Um, it's, I mean, romantic comedies are actually really not a genre that I particularly enjoy. Um, mostly because I, I feel like maybe just because I've been burned so much yeah, <laughs> in the past like 10 years that that's why I don't like them. Um, but I also feel like it, it's a little bit of the... Um, the characters have to be perfect, but they have to have like a flaw, a quote relatable flaw. Yeah. Like she's clumsy. That's or the she, one. It's she's clumsy. She's clumsy. Mm-hmm. I know that. First, why is that yep. a thing? Um, whereas the ones that I can remember that I that I enjoyed, you know, the Harry Met Sally one is obviously there. Can a man and a woman who have been friends be? Mm-hmm together and that's sort of the the central thesis Mm -hmm. and they're both flawed people i mean i think you know you can choose a side in that movie and you know be on sally's side or be on harry's side but both of them are flawed (laughs) well like that whole scene in the diner when she orders food (laughs) she's so picky about it And, and he, you know, and, and Harry too is, you know, a commitment phobe and, and, you know, they're all very flawed. They're all, and I, and that makes it very realistic. And, mm-hmm. and it, although my mother loves this movie because she looks at, she looks at Meg Ryan. She's like, I've had every one of those hairstyles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. I also love the other, um, Meg Ryan romantic comedy that I love is You've Got Mail with Tom Hanks. I do. I do like You've Got Mail. I like that one too. I just think that's funny because like, you know, he's a, he clearly is like the Barnes and Noble guy, Mm -hmm. even though it's not named Barnes and Noble. (laughs) Fox, Fox books. Yeah. And and then now I'm just like, oh gosh, poor Barnes and Noble now. I know. (laughs) (laughs) To remake You've Got Mail. Yeah. (laughs) They could. They could reboot You've Got Mail. (laughs) <laughs> Hollywood, call us. We, we, we can do it for you. We, we have ideas for you know to put another remake out on the market. Well, you know, you've got mail itself was a remake. It was, and I've actually seen both the play. So that it was, I think, the play came first. There was a play, and now the it's called the shop around the corner. I think was the. I play. think it was also a movie too. Yep, and they made a movie on it, and then there was also a musical. That was made as well, um, which I, again, can't remember the name of. Um, But I saw the musical in a production in Boston when I was probably 19 or so, or 20, and I didn't 
know about the connection. I didn't know that You've Got Mail was based on anything. And I started watching this musical and I was like, this is You've Got Mail set in like the forties. <laughs> like, I was like, what? This is, and you know, it would go along. And as it went, I was like, no, this is actually You've Got Mail. Like, this is really. And then of course, when I left the theater and did my research, I realized that You've Got Mail was derived from other sources, which made sense. But, um, yeah. yeah. And also the screwball comedies, the earlier, you know, like the thirties and forties and fifties, the screwball comedies of that era. I also really enjoy. I'm like the really stuffy old person who likes to watch Turner classic movies. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. I used to watch (laughs) Turner classic movies and American movie classics with my mother and I would iron cloth napkins. I don't know why. I don't think they actually needed to be ironed. We never (laughs) used them. (laughs) I don't know why I was ironing them because you'd think that if my mom wanted me to iron, I would be ironing something useful. But I remember my mother sitting on the couch folding laundry and me in front of the ironing board ironing cloth napkins that for no reason uh, and watching Turner Classic Movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they 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 hold up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Oh, to try and bring it back to to <laughs> trying to bring it back to the writing thing. Um, I mean, it's hard to talk about it, the very end of Nano because it's the end, mm-hmm. and you are either barreling your way to the finish, or you're struggling to to meet the word count, which is where I suspect I will be. I will be the one struggling. Um, but, you know, mentioning all this media though, there is no shame in retelling anything. Mm -hmm. Like you've got mail as a retelling of something, um, based on something else. There's no shame in that. Um, steal, steal wherever you can, um, and make it your own. Steal the plot, steal the conflict, steal the whatever that you can find that that works for you like so you said that you're having difficulty finding a conflict or an antagonist just steal it steal the conflict from i don't know robin hood prince of thieves (laughs) yeah yeah that sounds pretty of course like i don't remember that movie but i I only remember men in tights tights. (laughs) (laughs) that is the robin hood of our generation yes it is i know like I was like, I don't think I remember Prince of Thieves very well, if at all. Um, but you know, the, steal the conflicts from that. Steal the, um, you know, you can have you can have a sheriff of Nottingham kind of figure, or you know that just you just pilfer from wherever you can. Um, me, I am stealing very liberally from Harry Potter. I think the middle of my book is simply going to be the. Um, uh, a character learns about magic, learns how to do magic, and it's like the training montage. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's where the middle of my book is going to be for now. I mean, who knows? That may change once <laughs> once I finish. But um, it it's hard for me that the twenty five thousand to fifty thousand word, the middle. Now that the now that the setup's all all done, I'm like, well, now what? Mm-hmm. Now what's the story? How do I complicate this? How do I deepen this? How do I, you know, make sure it doesn't kind of sag? Um, Because, I mean, like, endings are another thing. And we can get to actual, like, endings of a book later. Are you okay there? Yeah, sorry, guys. I'm drinking tea because... I'm sick. I got the daycare plague from my daughter and it's a loose leaf tea. And I just swallowed the last Drink all the tea. bit of it. And the, the, their tea leaves got through the strainer and I just got a mouthful of grit. And so I started spazzing out and JJ was watching. Well, me is it a Skype. grim? Is <laughs> it a grim at the bottom of your cup now? Well, it might've been, but I drank it. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> at one point it may have been a grim and then I swallowed it. <laughs> I might, I apologize. And also if you hear me kind of sniffling and, um, swallowing tea throughout the podcast. My apologies for that as well. I know that can be distracting. Um, but when you have a child in daycare, you just come home with all kinds of horrific plagues and illnesses constantly. Ah, children. <sighs> yes. <laughs> um, but something that you had said earlier, actually, I'm, I 
cut you off and now I can't remember what you were talking about. Um, no, go ahead. But something that you had said earlier too is that we're at the end of NaNoWriMo and that you're in one of two places. You're either, you know, right on track. You can see the finish line. It's there. You're going to make it or you're behind and you could be behind and still be able to catch up in time if you really push yourself or you could be so far behind that, you know, you're not going to make it, um, in terms of hitting 50,000 words, but having written anything at all over the month is really an accomplishment. And that's something that I myself am really embracing at this point, because as I mentioned before, I'd had a really long dry spell where I hadn't written anything at all. And so I'm still planning to, to hit my 50,000 word count. But if I don't, any number of words that I wrote this month is more than I'd written the month before or in the last several months or in the last year. And so it's not worthless. The work that you put in up to this point, if you don't win, quote unquote, NaNoWriMo, doesn't mean that it's been wasted. Mm-hmm, I agree. And it's the same thing for me. If I don't hit 50,000 words, this is this is something that I, I, I do want to work on. And now I do have enough to send to my agent. Oh. Uh, so, you know, 25,000 words is about 100 pages. And it's about 100 pages in the end of the first act. So it's a, it's a, it's a decent enough chunk of the book to get a to give my agent a sense of the world, the characters, and the coming conflict. Um, the specifics of said coming conflict, I still don't know. Um, but it's enough for me to send to her and for for me to, to work on. So I, even if I don't write all 50,000 words, which I I know I've done it before, so I'm, I'm sure I could probably do it again. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's um, still the goal, absolutely. Yeah. So... If I haven't, you know, I've done it before and that's what I'm clinging to. It's that fear of, I'm I'm really at the point in the middle of my book right now where I'm like, I can't believe I've written books before. How have I finished anything before this? All of those other books that I've finished are flukes. This is, you know, like I'm, I'm really at that point. I'm struggling, you guys. I'm struggling. I'm just like, I don't understand how I did it, but I have to cling to the knowledge that I've done it. That I have that it it's it I can do it. Um, otherwise, I'm I'm just lost. I'm just like I don't every all of it was a mistake, you guys. I'm not a writer. It was all a mistake. <laughs> My agent's gonna regret signing me at any minute. Um, I know that's not true, and I I don't even have anxiety, but that sort of the self doubt that can really creep in when you're writing. It's hard to tune out. It really is. Um, and especially, here's the other thing about NaNoWriMo. NaNoWriMo is really good for people who are self-motivated. Um, and it's really good for people who write fast. But that's not everybody. And I know a lot of people who get stressed out because they look at their word count and they're not hitting it. Or they look at their writing buddies and see their writing buddies you know, outpacing them. Um, and, you know, and that starts to cripple them, cripple their own writing. They start to compare themselves. They start to think, how are they, how are these people able to do it when I can't, when it's so hard for me? So while I think NaNoWriMo is great at teaching you tools, tools to write, you know, even if it's nothing is usable, I think what NaNoWriMo as an exercise is, is that it teaches you Writing is is work. Mm-hmm. It's not a flash of inspiration. It's not something that comes out, you know, when fully formed, springing from your head like Athena from the head of Zeus. It doesn't work <laughs> like that. You work at it. You toil at it. This is just words you commit to the paper every day. Um, and I think that's what Nano is good good for. It teaches you. And and for some people who are spurred on by competition and you know, that sort of thing, I think Nano is also great because you're like, oh, I'm going to get into this. I'm not going to let so-and-so beat me or I'm going to do this, da 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 But sometimes it doesn't work for you. Sometimes you you do this and you realize, no, this is not a helpful way for me to get through a draft. Mm-hmm. And that's fine too. Um, you know, I, I'm 
generally self-motivated, so I, I don't typically worry about that aspect of it. But I'm also the kind of person who needs momentum. Inertia is really hard. Like, once I get going, I can keep going. But once I stop, mm-hmm. getting back on it is really, really difficult. Um, and that's where I am right now. I'm just, the, it's getting, getting back and going again is, is really, really hard. And that and coupled with, I don't know what happens next. To <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> somebody, somebody who's good at plot, tell me how they do this. Absolutely. But no matter what, it's a huge accomplishment. So as you come to the end of your NaNoWriMo journey, you know, wherever you are on the final day, um, just be proud of yourself and keep going just because NaNoWriMo ends. Don't stop writing, you know, whether you Mm -hmm. pick a different project or you consider continue this project or, you know, whatever it is that you do. Use this as your inertia, like JJ said. Let this month carry you into your, you know, continuing your writing practice. And that's what I did with my debut. I mean, I wrote, I won it the year that year. But you guys, the final draft of that book was 120,000 words. <laughs> so uh, I didn't finish the story. While I hit 50,000 words in November, I didn't finish the story um, until December. But... Using the momentum from NaNoWriMo, I wrote the entire first draft of that book in 59 days. So a little less than two months. It's really kind of closer to probably like, you know, like seven and a half weeks is when I wrote it. Because I didn't write every day in December either. Um, So I managed to finish and keep going. And so... I think for many of us, 50,000 words is not a full story. I think think there are some middle-grade novels that fall within that word count range, but most adult novels in YA tend to be a little bit longer, Um, the sweet spot sort of being between 80 and 100,000 words for nearly all fiction. Um, And we can get into word counts and everything at a different podcast episode. Um, what make you know? What makes an ideal book length? There is, by the way, there is no ideal book length. Bless you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Just keeping it real, guys. <laughs> um, there is no ideal book length. Mm-hmm. You know, as as long as it doesn't feel long, is what I used to say. I used to say as an editor when I was reading manuscripts, is as long as I'm not bored, I don't care how long it is. And, um, you know, the first Harry Potter novel for a middle grade is quite long. Yes. uh, It's like 76,000 words. That's the first one. Um, His Dark Materials, The Golden Compass, which is honestly one of the most fast-paced books ever, that's over 100,000 words long. So, but it doesn't feel that way, or at least it doesn't feel that way to me. So, you know, word count doesn't actually matter, you know. So I, I, it's a useful metric to sort of, kind of gauge where you are in your book. Um, but I think everyone also has it tends to have a natural writing pace. Mine tends to be kind of slow. <laughs> like my running pace, <laughs> you guys. I'm not a fast runner. Um, but I also don't... I tend to tell stories slowly. I tend to sort of let them unfold rather than kind of keeping things moving at a clip. I'm very bad at that. So that's the other thing, the middle grade I'm trying to work on is, is keeping the story going, keeping it moving, you know, so, so kids don't get bored. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I think, I think that's it. I mean, do you have any other tips, words of encouragement? No, I mean, I think no matter where you are, even if you're behind and you're not going to make it to 50, just write until the end of the month anyway. Just write as yeah. much as you can. Yeah. And free yourself from, you know, those expectations. And for those of you who are going to hit it or go beyond, that's incredible. I hope that I'm among you. Um, I, I just think, you know, this is my first time seriously attempting NaNo. I've, you know, kind of had half-hearted attempts in the past. Uh, and I have been so impressed with the community that has sprung up around me. Uh, as a result of participating in NaNoWriMo and watching other people hit their word goals and cheer me on as I hit my word goals has really been just 
an incredibly, supremely positive experience. It's been the best possible way I think I could have returned to my writing practice. Um, so, you know, keep going right to the end of the month. I hope you hit your word count. No matter how many words you write this month, having written anything at all is incredible and just keep going. Yeah. It's a, it's an incredible accomplishment no matter where you're at. Not everybody writes a book. A lot of people say they will, or say that they have an idea, but not everybody has the willpower to do that. And for that, I commend every single one of you for committing to it and, and wanting to do NaNoWriMo. And those of you who haven't done NaNoWriMo and listening to it, to us talk about it uh, next year, I hope maybe we will convince some of you to do it. It's a... Uh, like I said, it's it's a wonderful experience to, to give you tools to continue writing, mm-hmm. um, you know, to teach you that, yes, it's work, but it's not impossible work to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So congratulations, Yay! everyone. We're at the end or approaching the end. <laughs> um, I think maybe, maybe not December, but in the new year, we'll, we'll, uh, tackle the what to do after. <laughs> You've written your NaNoWriMo novel. Right. We'll do some revision and some other stuff. I think, um, so we are taking next week off, as JJ mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, So that'll be the first week of December for you guys. There'll be no new podcast, and then we'll pick up after that. And I think we're going to get back to um, some of the things that we were doing prior to NaNoWriMo month. So I'm not sure what order we're doing things in yet, but I know we have a few more industry-focused podcasts planned. I know we have uh, a good deal of craft focused podcasts planned. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So we've got a lot of stuff um, in the works and we're going to be uh, returning to some of that more um, focused um, detailed topics per episode coming up. And if there's anything that you want us to cover, let us know. Um, we want to be giving you guys the topics and the content that you most want to hear. So we love and yeah. appreciate all the feedback we get. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we've had a couple of requests about revisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will definitely, definitely <laughs> tackle that. I think the new year, I mean, this is December is, is pretty busy for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself am traveling the last two weeks of the year and, um, I'm usually, I usually try to be home in, in Los Angeles to see my family for the new year. Because that is usually when we go to my grandfather's grave. Um, sort of a New Year thing for us and Koreans. Um, not that we don't really we don't really do ancestor worship per se. And in, in my family, the Korean side of my family is very Christian. Um, but it is sort of something that we do, and I usually try to go out there every New Year. So I think December we may have a like a maybe our best reads of the year. Mm-hmm. We can try and round it up with. Uh, our favorite books that we've read in 2015, uh, maybe some gift suggestions. We can do that for all those of you guys who give holiday gifts, either Hanukkah or Christmas or Yule or Kwanzaa. Uh, winter I, birthdays. I, winter birthdays. My brother is one. He's uh, he's the 21st. Um, so if I'm missing any holidays, I do apologize. But you know, the I think we could we could do. That well, that's probably what's coming up in, in mm-hmm. the next couple of weeks, um, and then we'll probably take a break uh, the second half of December, mm-hmm. and then we will be back in the new year with a whole bunch of new podcasts for you guys. We'll so just keep your suggestions coming, um, even if the we haven't updated, uh, we will be reading all of the feedback, and uh, so that that's it for for Nano Month. That was our wrap up. Yeah. Yeah, um, so let's move on to some fun stuff. Fun stuff. Um, yeah, well, what are you reading? Oh my goodness, you know, I actually have to pull my phone out and look for the title because um, I cannot even remember what it is. It's the final book in the Sherry Thomas YA Fantasy Trilogy that I had been reading about a month ago. And the final book came out and I did make time to read it this week. I haven't been reading too much because I've been doing lots of nano stuff. It is called The Immortal Heights by Ooh. Sherry Thomas. And it's the final uh, book in that trilogy. Um, and so, yeah, I read that. I read it, you know, pretty quickly straight through. Um, 
I'm excited about it. It was enjoyable. And that's really the only thing that I've read. I have a bunch on my library list, as always. Um, Winter by... Mar- is it Marissa or Melissa? My brain, you guys. I'm Marissa. I'm so, so sick. I'm sorry. By Marissa Meyer. Um, Winter is on my library list, but I've been checking every day because the library usually gets things in like a week, two weeks after pub date. And so from the day a book publishes... I usually check the library site every day so that I can get the books that I want right away. And I was checking for winter every day, every day I was checking. And then I didn't check for like three days. And of course that's when the library got it in. And so by the time I thought to check again, I have to wait 169 days now. So (laughs) I won't be reading that one anytime soon. Um, But I did also just download A Thousand Pieces of You by Claudia Gray, uh, which I know nothing about. But uh, I've seen it. I think it's an alternate universe Yeah, I've heard something like that. And I think there may be time jumping or time travel. Yeah, I think maybe time travel. Yeah, the cover is really pretty. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) And I kept seeing the cover everywhere. And I was like, you know, I'll I'll give that a try. Um, So that's what's on my to-be-read list at the moment. But but yeah, not, not doing too much reading. Trying to do mostly writing. What about you? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I am working my way through winter, which is slightly difficult since I'm falling asleep at five o'clock every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's like as soon as I open up the book, like maybe two paragraphs later, I've totally passed out. So mm-hmm. it's awfully slow going. Um, but I, I'm really, really, really enjoying it. I actually got to meet Marissa Meyer at Yalfest um, and said hi and... Um, Marissa Meyer and I actually share the same agent. We're represented by the same agency. Um, But I also, what I actually had to tell her was, I used to read her Sailor Moon fan fiction uh, before she was published. So I just kind of had to let her know that I was a fan long before everybody else was a fan. (laughs) Before it was cool. You guys, I'm not kidding, y'all. I mean, I think I read fanfic of hers when I was 13. 13 years old. The only fan fiction I read was Harry Potter fan fiction. But I read a lot of Harry Potter fan fiction. As did I. I read a lot of Harry Potter fan fiction as well. Um, But Sailor Moon... Sailor Moon was actually not my first fandom. My first fandom was The X-Files. And that is actually a show that did kind of birth the internet as we know it. They are really the ones that came up with the term shipper. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where it comes from. And I I was in the X-Files fandom pretty much from the start, which when I look back on it is slightly creepy because I'm like a 10-year-old amongst all these grown people. Um, but that was actually my first fandom. But I, I read uh, Marissa Meyer's Sailor Moon fan fiction. And even then, I really loved her stuff. Mm-hmm. Even then, she had a real gift for, for likable characters. I mean, obviously, it's fan fiction, but just, you know, the way that she was able to write them and just, that's like reading her her published stuff. I, I, I have the same kind of warm, happy feeling. Mm-hmm. It's that the I same did. fingerprints. You know, it was mm-hmm. the same person. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, I am working my way through winter. I finally caved you guys and bought all of the Harry Potter books on audio. I'm really on a Harry Potter kick right, oh, right now. Oh my but. goodness. I own a few of them and then I got several out from the library and when I got them from the library I uploaded them to my iTunes. So I have them all but they're all on my iPod which I don't think I've listened to. Like I don't think I've used my iPod since I got an iPhone. Um so I should remedy that. But those are amazing. Jim Dale, I'm assuming you have the U.S. version. I have the Jim Dale version, Jim Dale. Yeah. It, he's so wonderful. He just captures all of those characters so beautifully and is such a delightful narrator. I love him. He, I, I just started reading, um, listening to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And, and you're right. He, he does he does the accents. He does the voices. He and Just a wonderful reading voice mm-hmm. um you know there are i mean i i do listen to an, a lot of audiobooks now and and not every narrator is that good <laughs> right <laughs> um 
so I, I, there's that. I, I just, I did. I just kind of bit the bullet, but then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to buy them all because I know I will listen to them. Is it the first time you've heard them? On audio? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> I used to, yeah. I had the first book on audio on CD, you know, and it came in like one of those CD things you had to unfold like 15 times because there were like 23 discs or something. And I would listen to it as I drove back and forth from college when I drove to upstate New York. I would listen to Harry Potter on audio back then. Um, oh, they're great. Oh, you're in for such a great... Um, Oh, I'm so excited. Experience there. I love them. He really does do well the whole way through. You know, even as the books get more serious, he can have the weight to um, give those narrations, you know, the 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 weight they deserve, I guess. Um, so he does equally well with the whimsical first half of the series and then... Right, and the, the darker second yeah. half. Yeah, he's just, he's fantastic. Well, I think because... I'm a relative latecomer to the audiobook genre. Mm -hmm. I will admit this, that I don't retain information very well if it's told to me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you say, (laughs) my poor partner comes up against this a lot, where he'll say, (laughs) can you do this? And because he's, he's told it to me and hasn't like either texted it or written it down, I will not remember. It will literally go one in in one ear and straight out the Mm -hmm. other. Um, so the whole audio genre I was initially worried about because I, you know, I, I don't retain information audio, you know, via audio very well, but I, um, (laughs) this was kind of in my heyday of getting re-obsessed with cabaret and specifically (laughs) the, the, um, Alan Alan Cumming, Mm -hmm. yes, um, I love Alan Cumming, you guys. It's it's kind of it's kind of sad and um scary how much I love Alan Cumming. But I was listening to the old cabaret his version of Cabaret when he was the MC and I this was probably like two thousand nine ish. And yes. um I saw he had read all the audiobooks of Scott Westerfeld's Leviathan series. And I was like, Well, I had actually read those um, on paper first, so I knew the story. So I knew the story of Leviathan, and I thought, hey, this is probably a good opportunity to just get into audiobooks. Here's an author I like. Here's a story I like. Here's also a narrator I like. So I, uh, that's kind of how I got started, and then I slowly branched out into getting audiobooks of, of stories that I read as a child. So Alana by Tamara Pierce, all of the Alana books, um, all of the Chronicles of Pradane by Lloyd Alexander. Um, those are also narrated by an amazing audiobook narrator, James Langton. He's, he's fantastic. Um, so that's kind of how I like slowly got into the audiobook thing. And now I have an audible membership and that's what I listen to all the time. Um, because I can do that at work. And the, the book that I got with my audible credit this month is The Thirteenth Tale by Diane Setterfield, which, again, this is something that I've read before. Um, I think I may have recommended this, um, like, either on our Scary Reads, or if I haven't recommended this book before, I I highly recommend it now. It is another gothic novel, so you guys know me. I love my gothic anything. Um, and it's, it's extremely well-written, and uh, I think the Washington Post... It's it doesn't reinvent anything, but it revels in its tropes. So um, I really love it. It's it's kind of creepy, kind of unsettling, just the way the best gothic novels are. It's got uncanny twins and a crumbling house, and of course the uh, incest. I don't know why this is a gothic thing, but it's in a lot of gothic novels. I guess you can trace that to the fall of the House of Usher or something. But <laughs> so that that's what I'm listening to on audio now. Um, but other than that, not much like you, I've got NaNoWriMo Mm -hmm. and just sleep. (laughs) Yep. (coughs) Oh, bless you. Yeah. I'm not getting sick. I think I just have allergies. At least that's what I'm hoping. (laughs) I don't think you can catch the daycare plague through Skype, so you're probably safe. (laughs) (laughs) Are you... 
enjoying any other kinds of media or no? Um, not particularly at the moment. Yeah. I, I have this whole list of this time of year, especially at the holidays. I have this list of movies and TV shows that I sort of watch every year. Mm-hmm. We're kind of coming up to the time of my yearly rewatches of X, Y, and Z. So I'm looking forward to those. Uh, for example, my mother and I always watch the uh, 1995 version of Pride and Prejudice mm-hmm. with Colin Firth, uh, which we love. And we also, uh, w- immediately after that, watch the first Bridget Jones's Diary. <laughs> Because it's the exact same story. Oh, yeah. With, with Colin Firth. Exact same act, with Colin Firth in it. Um, and uh, so that's one. Also, The Lord of the Rings. Oh, uh, The extended yeah. edition. Because they used to come out around Christmas every they year. They did. And uh, my friends and I would usually marathon, you know, the ones before and then go to the midnight showing of whatever movie was coming out that year. So, and that's sort of kind of a, a tradition that we have in my family because my dad likes Lord of the Rings he's the one that introduced them to me he read The Hobbit to me when I was young um, so looking forward to that the, the, that's like 12 hours <laughs> Lord of the Rings is like 12 hours because we watched the extended editions mm-hmm. um, and I'm trying to think of this like now that like uh, The Sound of Music mm. I love that movie you guys I love that movie, The Sound of Music. Um, it's not necessarily a Christmassy movie at all, but it is something that I associate watching with my mother. So there's that, and there's just there's just a lot of kind of movies that have been piling up, and TV shows that have been piling up that I'm just looking forward to once I have a bit of a vacation to just like sit down and watch The Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> The day after Thanksgiving is one of the first movies I watched. Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, While You Were Sleeping. Mm. Um, trying to think of any other Cool Runnings. <laughs> I love Cool Runnings. I I uh, am speechless at how much <laughs> I love that movie. And I've actually been too. thinking about making Cool Runnings references this entire podcast because (laughs) because it's the end of NaNoWriMo and because there is that moment where he's talking to John Candy and he's like how will I know if I'm enough and he's like you have to cross (laughs) the finish line and then you'll know and they pick up the bobsled and they cross the finish line because he has to know if he's enough without the medal and I I was I was like (laughs) I was gonna make a cool runnings reference and then I didn't because I thought it would be too ridiculous but now i've done it <laughs> I, I love that movie and also it's one of the my favorite lines actually in that movie is sanka you know they're in calgary and they're mm-hmm. sort of experiencing snow and the cold for the first time and he's like i'm free, freezing my royal rastafarian ninnies off and that's what i feel like every time i step outside and it's cold i'm freezing my royal rastafarian ninnies off it's just oh, yeah. I love the whole movie. It's great. I am pride. I am power. I'm a bad bleepy bleep who won't take no crap out of nobody. Oh, that's and I just love that movie. the bad guys are the Germans, and like specifically, I think it's the East Germans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, and like you know, they're like you know they're bad because they're smoking cigarettes on the track. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a wonderful movie. Oh my God. I love Cool Runnings and The Cutting Edge. What's the other one? <gasps> the Cutting Edge. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Now I just want I'm the sure Winter Olympics to happen are. immediately. I know. Well, it goes to show you how old we are, Kelly. I know. Well, <laughs> These are the movies that we love. <laughs> yes. Yeah. True. Was, any recent Christmas movies? I was like... Uh, I love Elf. Elf. I love Elf unabashedly. But even then... Elf is not that recent anymore. No, it's not. It was like 2003 or something, so it is not recent at all. That's the last one, and I think Elf, to me, really feels like a a classic Christmas movie in that Mm -hmm. way that I can't explain. Because, like, obviously it, like, riffs off of all the classic movies. It's got the little claymation and the... You know the the whole look of it is is like all those old movies, so it references those quite a bit. 
But Elf for me, um, Home Alone, obviously. Mm, yes. Um, yes. White Christmas. Mm-hmm. And um, Mixed Nuts. <laughs> I've seen that movie in years. It's, it's well, at least you've seen it. Most of the time, I mention it, and people just give me this blank look. It's a, it's a dark Christmas comedy uh, starring um, oh, what's his name? I can oh, see um, him right in front of me, Steve Martin. Yes, uh, Steve Martin, and um, Joe, is it Joe Pesci and Madeline Kahn? And Adam Sandler has a cameo and just tons of people are in it. And it's about a suicidal hotline that is being evicted from their office on Christmas. And it's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. It's not, I mean, I can't sit here and defend it as like a great movie. (laughs) or you know like it's it's not that it's particularly well acted it's not that it you know that the story or the writing is incredible or you know that the cinematography is great or anything I really can't say any of those things it's just that it's a movie that was ingrained into my childhood for whatever reason I think my sister and I like saw it on cable one year you know (laughs) it was just like on to fill some slot and so they were just playing it and we just watched it and it just became a thing in my house and so we own like I own it now and I make David watch it every year and he's like why are we watching this movie (laughs) but it has nothing to do with like the movie itself and everything to do with like just it just connects me to my family and it just puts me in the mood for Christmas it's just like part of the fabric of my childhood Christmas for whatever reason. It's um, like us in the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Mm-hmm. We watch that every year. Mm-hmm. Every year. Also, I said it was Joe Pesci. It's not. It's Anthony LaPaglia. LaPaglia? Like, oh, um, why am I talking? <laughs> I, just, I need to go to bed. I need to take cold medicine yeah. and go to bed. Cold medicine and go to bed. But um, it's not Joe Pesci. <laughs> In a National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, we do watch that every year as a family. Um, and that's another one where um, we love. It's kind of the only one of the National Lampoon movies I like. Um, so, except for the, the one where they go to Wally World, which is quite funny. Um, but the, the Christmas Vacation, we kind of know from start to finish. Um, it's kind of the same way. And um, also The Nightmare Before Christmas, which oh, I that's also a good watch. One. I watch for Halloween and Christmas. That's well, what's it, a great thing about that movie. It does. It works both <laughs> ways. Um, so that's that's the other media. I haven't consumed them yet, but I'm looking forward to consuming them because I, I you guys, I haven't watched a lot of movies or TV this year, uh, partially because I don't watch a lot of movies or TV in general. Um, we don't have cable um, and... Mark and I, and and usually the free time that I do have, I usually am either spending it writing or reading. I tend to read more than I watch TV. Um, But this, like, holidays are always sort of when I catch up on that, so I'm really looking forward to that. Plus, The Hunger Games is coming out soon, so we'll probably go see that in the theater. And the new Star Wars movie. I am so excited about the new Star Wars movie, you guys. Like, I've cried every single time I've watched the trailer. <laughs> it's like, um, so just that time of year, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I probably actually won't read a ton. I'm going to spend most of my time just zoning out, watching watching movies and TV shows. So mm. that's that's more or less it. All right. So, I think that's it for this week. Congratulations to everybody who is coming up and finishing NaNoWriMo, whether or not you've hit 50,000 words or not. And uh, happy Thanksgiving as well, um, as I do believe this is going up Thanksgiving week. Yeah. Is it on Thanksgiving? It's Thursday, right? It is. Oh, so happy it is. Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> and we will see um, you in December. Yes. Or um, talk to you. Talk, yeah. Yeah. Well, we see each other when we record the podcast, but um, we will we will talk to you all in December. We'll I, I think we're gonna do I 
like a, a year-end sort of best of. Best books we've read, best media we've consumed, I think. Um, gift ideas for anybody who's giving gifts around that time of year. So I think that will be our next podcast, but we are on break next week. So um, anyway, as always, if you want more, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Pickle, or your podcast provider of choice. Also, if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance as it helps other listeners find the podcast. If you want more pub crawl goodness, you can go to our website, Publishing Crawl, where we have many more posts and articles about various aspects of reading, writing, and the publishing industry. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pub Crawl Blog, as well as on Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Publishing Crawl. You can follow me, JJ, at SJ Jones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S, on Twitter or my website at sjjones.com. And you can follow me, Kelly, at Bookish Chick on Twitter or Instagram. Our theme music is Quirky Dog by Kevin McLeod, and our logo is designed by Aaron Bowman, author of Vengeance Road, available now wherever books are sold. If you have any further questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to email us at publishingcrawl at gmail.com or send us an ask through Tumblr. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you.